Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, one of those books that, well, really kind of changed the world, at least my world, and uh, I read it like seven years after it came out. In this episode, I have a couple buddies that are helping me out. They've both been on the channel before. One is Cody Berman, and I've interviewed him at least a couple times. He has a financial independence podcast called The Fi Show, so you should check that out. We'll link up to that show. We'll link up to his previous appearances as well. He's a entrepreneur, very successful, very driven, and he has a lot of different side hustles that he works on. The other person is Stephen Keyes. He blogs over at Trip of a Lifestyle. And I met him a couple years ago at one of the events here in Longmont, my the town that I live in. I guess it's not technically my hometown, but I, I live here, I consider it home. And I met uh, Stephen and Lauren. Lauren is his wife and they blog. They uh, retired at, I think, around 29 or 30. They uh, travel quite a bit. In fact, they've been to all the national parks here in the US. Stephen and Lauren checked out the four hour work week very recently, and they had some uh, cool insights based on the fact that they hadn't read it before, but ended up in a place where they uh, have retired and they don't have to have a, a full-time job. They do some uh, dabbling on the side, some hobby things. But anyway, we talk about the four-hour work week generally. We talk about the things that we have applied specifically, things that maybe are not as relevant anymore in 2023 since the book was written in 2007. So anyway, if you have any comments or observations from your experience with the four-hour work week, please leave a comment or shoot me an email over at feedback at doug.show. One last thing before we get to the meat of the episode here. Currently, if you're listening to this the week that it's released and published, I am giving out a, a free three-part email series. Now, technically, when this comes out, the first part will have been uh, sent out already, but it's a free email series for people that want to start or grow a niche site. It's uh, based on you know multiple streams of income and that sort of thing, so it gets you motivated. It helps you understand what your goals are. And again, it's free via email. I'll put a link in the description here so that you can get to it if you want to, and you'll be able to you know, get the second part or third part or whenever you listen to it. And if you happen to listen to it, not in the January 16th through the 20th, 2023, if you're listening to it some other time in the future, you can shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show, and I can show you where to sign up for the email series. All right. Thanks a lot to Stephen and Cody, and let's get to the episode right now. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and today we're going back and talking about the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And I have a couple friends who have also read the book and it impacted them. So I have Stephen Keyes and Cody Berman, who have both been on the podcast before, so we'll link up to their other shows, but today the focus is the four hour work week. So we're going to uh, sort of riff on it, talk about things that impacted us, talk about things that held up, maybe things that didn't hold up, and just kind of where we're at now 
and if the four-hour work week is still useful. So before we get started and talk about the four-hour work week, we'll get an intro from the guys here. So we'll start with uh, Steven. Can you let us know who you are and, and what you're doing these days? Hey, uh, yeah. So I, I read a blog called tripofalifestyle.com, and it's about early retirement and traveling really cheaply around. And uh, funny enough, I actually read the four-hour work week with my wife while we were on like a two-month road trip through Canada. And, you know, I feel like most people who find this book are like in like this grindy job or whatever. And we're kind of like in our early retirement travel stage reading this book about it. But it was still like really interesting to to learn from. All right. And when did you read it, Stephen? Just this year, actually. Okay. So a late comer to the party. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. What about you, Cody? So I'm Cody Berman. I am a passive income enthusiast and talk all things passive income, spend most of my time running a company called Gold City Ventures, where we teach other people how to create passive income through digital products. I actually discovered the four-hour work week when I was 19 years old. I was a sophomore in college. This was seven years ago at this point. So that's I'm trying to do mental math, 2015. And I know we're going to talk about it a lot today. It completely changed my view of money, my view of business, just how the world worked. So I'm really excited for this episode to dig in and I'm a huge Tim Ferriss fan, always listening to his podcast and thanks for having us, Doug. Cool. And for me, I was a little late for the four hour work week. I heard about it probably in 2010, but never picked it up until I started getting into side hustles and the passive income side of things in 2013. And then I still didn't read the book until maybe halfway through 2014. And a lot of the wheels were in motion already for me, but it, it was a big impact. And I actually, I listened to the audio book, which I think is a little bit different experience than going through uh, the print book. And then later I bought the, the, the print book. So I'm just curious, did either of you guys listen to the audio book? I did both. Okay. I, I hilariously uh, kind of listened to an audio book. So like I said, we, we read this, uh, Lauren and I read this on a road trip, and so only one person can read at a time. So whoever was driving, the other person read the book out loud because we found it randomly for a dollar in a library that we visited in Alaska. So yeah, I kind of got the audiobook experience, but no, I did not listen to the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. And it, w one thing I noticed from the audiobook was the narrator, uh, like the voice. I could imagine it would like turn people, certain people off, uh, just the cadence that he read and the way he approached the the book. I mean, I still listened to the whole thing probably a couple times, but I was like, I kind of sounds like a dick sometimes. I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I mean, no offense to that uh, narrator or whatever, but Cody, did you uh, get the same feeling or were you, I don't know, is it just me? <laughs> no, I, I totally know, know what you're saying. I think the book does have more of a bang because you, there's diagrams. There's just a lot more illustrative examples in there, but I listened, I re-listened to the audiobook after reading the real book, I think twice. I think I read it once in 2015 maybe 2017. I listened to the audiobook in like 2019 or 2020, but I, I totally get what you're saying. The guy okay. just kind of comes <laughs> off as a dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, uh, the points are well-made and all that stuff, but if you catch it in the wrong mood, you're like, why, why are you so upset at me guy? But okay. <laughs> so before we get into some of the, the bullet points that we were talking about before, Steven, you, you read it sort of uh, fresh and you wrote a blog post, which we'll link up to so people can check it out. But 
I didn't prep you for this, Stephen, but if you feel comfortable, can you lay out the dis and some of the ideas of the book sort of in a, in a broad stroke? And if, if this is not a good thing to go to, then we can move on to the next question here. Uh, no, it's fine. So the, the book is laid out in this format that's uh, called D-E-A-L. Um, and I'm, I probably will misremember what each of those uh, letters stands for in the acronym. But basically, that the idea is that you need to think about your goals and your fears and what you want first. Um, then you need to, so that's the D, I don't actually remember what the D stands for, but it's basically like goal setting. And then E is elimination, which was really interesting um, and kind of has like some interesting parallels to like minimalism, really, um, where you just cut out everything that's wasting your time and wasting your life um, in an effort to become more efficient. Um, A is automate. And so there's uh, things about like how to uh, make your job or your side hustle or your business make money without you putting in extra time and making it like more like scalable and more automated talks about like outsourcing talks about computer programs that can help you all kinds of stuff like that. And then L I think is liberate. And so that's kind of the, the end where you're like becoming free because you you've set up this lifestyle that has like way less bullshit in it and way more automation in it and and sort of like automatic or semi-passive income. And, and then you're sort of done with the program there. Perfect. And uh, thanks for that, Steven. And I, I even said this, which is from the four hour chef for, for learning, not deal. So thank you for <laughs> fixing that up. And yeah, we'll link up because your, your blog post outlines that stuff. And uh, Cody, do you have anything to add there before we, you know, get into it here? No, I think Stephen definitely has the book more top of mind. I couldn't have rallied off the D-E-A-L there. <laughs> I, I couldn't either. Yeah. So Stephen, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, and, and if I don't mention this, she'll probably get mad at me. Lauren wrote the blog post, not me. So just for the record. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry about that, Lauren. You get credit. Okay. So let's start really broad and maybe each of us could pick one or two things that we really liked about the book and maybe if we used it. So Cody, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah. I mean, the most striking thing to me, and I talked about how this like completely transformed my view of money in the world was the idea. And Steven, you touched on this, the idea that you could basically build something, whether it's like a business or maybe it's rental real estate, or maybe it's like even index funds talking about like the fire movement. You could build something or pour money or something, just pour your resources into a thing. And then that thing is going to pay you in perpetuity with like little to no effort on the back end. And like that idea of making money without having to work for it, you know, you put in the initial work, but then you get paid on that thing in perpetuity. That was completely foreign to me. All the people in my life who were like, quote unquote, rich, I have like a cousin who's a lawyer, some people who are doctors, like they're working for their money every single hour. They're getting paid based on the amount of hours they worked. So this idea that Tim Ferriss threw out, like, he called it muses. Now it's more commonly known as side hustles. And he talked about business building, like that whole concept was just so foreign to me. So that's something that I really took to heart. And I just like tr uh, started to try to build businesses. I had a couple failed businesses. Since then, I've uh, had a couple successful businesses, but I can credit the four hour work week for like just getting that idea in my head and planting that seed. And you, you went pretty deep too, because you actually did like a physical product business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that sounds so much more involved than, you know, 
I, I got into websites, right? So I was started writing, and that's a lot easier when you're dealing with physical products. You have supply chain. Your uh, inventory is tying up capital. There's a lot of other things to consider. So, yeah, can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, I wish it was this story where I started this physical products business and it made me like a multimillionaire. That's not the story. I did do okay with it and made some money. It was a disc golf manufacturing company. And the idea was like, I put in all this legwork up front. I did hundreds of hours of research, finding the plastics distributor, finding the molding company, like getting all the disc molds perfect. And then it was like, basically all I have to do is hire a salesperson. And then this company is going to run itself. Once I, you know, we have the discs, we have distribution channels. And now we just need like a salesperson and boom, I'm like in the CEO chair and I'm going to be making money. That was the plan anyway. I did all right. But like, I wouldn't have even had the idea for a concept like that if it wasn't from Tim Ferriss. I mean, at the time I was, I was like a waiter and I was working in like clothing stores and I was just trading my time for money. I'd never even thought that I could like build something that would then pay me in the future, even when I wasn't working on it, which is exactly what happened. Awesome. And anything else? I know uh, in past conversations, you have mentioned like outsourcing. So I know that was a big chunk of the book. So Cody, any anything on outsourcing? That didn't come till later for me. I was really scrappy. I was 19. Like I said, I had no money to outsource, quite honestly, when I built that disc golf company. Like I was doing everything <laughs> from the skin of my teeth. I, I really didn't have any money to pay for outsourcing. But as I've started to progress in my business career and try new ventures, like I have slowly, with every single business I start now, like I create what's called SOPs, standard operating procedures. I'll write out exactly the things I'm doing, whether it's recording a podcast or creating a digital product, I will document that in like a Google Doc or I'll record a video losing a software like Loom. And then I will hire someone and basically show them exactly what I'm doing. I'll hire them. And now I just bought all of my time back for that exact task. And so I've done this in basically all of my businesses to date, real estate, podcasting, digital products. And now I have like a whole fleet of contractors who are kind of doing all these random little tasks for me that even if it takes me half an hour, like I just bought that half an hour back with $10, $15, $20, you name the price. But that has been really, really powerful. And it's allowed me to kind of be able to sit in the CEO seat rather than working in my business all the time, just grinding, grinding, grinding. What about you, Steven? A couple things that you liked from the book that either you started using or you used in the past and it happens to be in the book. Yeah, the book was really interesting for me because like like I said, I, I read it from a perspective of like entering into early retirement. And so it's kind of like backwards from, I guess, the way most people discover it. But, um, you know, like the, the outsourcing thing, for example, you know, paying other people to do stuff for you to save your time because your time could be better spent somewhere else making more money or whatever. I mean, that was like a completely foreign concept to me. I, I feel like I got to early retirement with a very like DIY attitude and like a never pay extra for anything that you can do yourself, right? And so it kind of opened my eyes to like, well, that's not necessarily always true and always correct because Tim Ferriss, I think, makes some good arguments for that um, in the book. At the same time, I think there's like a like a slippery slope element to it, right? Where you, you can pay like too much for convenience too. So I, I would caution people against that. But I definitely think that there were some great ideas in there with that. Um, things that resonated with me in the book that like definitely helped on the early retirement journey that, that Tim Ferriss espouses is like, I remember, I think it was in the first section, the, in the D section, um, where he kind of warns against at some point, like, hey, 
eventually you're going to produce this passive income with these businesses that you set up and you know you're going to become this business person running a business realize that by setting these goals for yourself the things that you want envision the stuff you want that once you meet those goals and, and you're set and you've got this passive income rolling in and you can pay for all these dreams that you had, uh, you don't necessarily need more uh, after that. And you have to realize, like, don't become the person that works a 40 or 80 hour work week when you only need to work a four hour work week um, just because you can make more and more and more money after that. That's not the point. Right. And so he actually talks about, like, purposely giving up opportunities for more income past a certain point. And I thought that was great advice um, and was actually like pretty surprising to read in what is basically a business book. Right. So um, that's one that like I, I definitely took, took to heart because I had already used that in my own journey. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to, to retire, you have to set a number and say like, yeah, I'm happy with this and I'm, I'm good with that. Um, and then other stuff that was really, really useful, probably the stuff I've most immediately applied since right, right, reading the book is not so much related to business, but related to like lifestyle design. So he talks about um, cutting things out of your life that are a waste of your time, waste of your money, waste of your energy. Um, he talks about the low information diet, right? Uh, consuming less news that's designed to just like glue you to a screen and get you emotionally riled up for no real reason. Um, wasting less time just like scrolling social media endlessly with no real purpose and even just like batching tasks that you know you have to do or that maybe you even want to do like communing communicating with other people via email right uh, take all your emails for the day or for the last two or three days or the last week or whatever it is and just sit down and answer them all at once instead of sitting glued to your computer screen inside all day, not doing anything fun um, and answering emails and and calling it productive, right? It's not productive to just sit there glued to your screen, refreshing your inbox. And he puts that in the context of like, hey, if you batch together all your emails during like one hour for for like a three-day period, you can use all that extra time to be productive, right? Well, I think about it as I can use all that extra time to like go outside and jump in my kayak or something, right? Instead of like sitting inside and just like thinking that I'm busy when I'm not really busy. So removing this idea of like busyness from your life, um, it's surprising how many hours a day you waste and that I'm still guilty of wasting time. So I've tried to really take that to heart from the book is just to waste less time. Perfect. Yeah. And that's actually a good reminder for me because I know that I should batch my emails and I don't necessarily sit and refresh all day, but um, sometimes I have to hop in to do a little work and I need to see an email and then I see something and I'm like, oh, I'll just check that one out. But I need to like, um, you know, you can pause your inbox so it doesn't refresh. Um, I need to do that. So thanks for the reminder, Stephen. (laughs) I'm so terrible with that. I just keep seeing them come in. You send one, you get two back. It's a nightmare. So... Perfect. Okay. So I liked a lot of the stuff that you guys mentioned, so I'm not going to harp on it too much. A couple things that were were big. Number one is uh, the dream line. So this exercise is where you write out your dreams and then you, you put it on a timeline, which I don't think he says he's combining those two things in the uh, book specifically, but eventually I, I put that together. And 
my wife and I did that exercise in 2014, midway through. So I listened to the book and finally through enough um, encouragement, my wife did, did the exercise too. And it was you know, kind of difficult. It doesn't take that long, but you have to like write down your dreams and you're like, do I want to write it on paper? It's not really for anyone else, but you're still like, ah, this is kind of embarrassing, especially where I, I was at in my professional career. And crazy thing is pretty much all the things that matter to me, like I ended up doing it within five years. I never looked back at that document, but we ended up moving out West, buying a house with like a mountain view. One of the things, funny enough, I live in Colorado now, but uh, our initial move was to Montana, which in, I would argue it's somewhat better than Colorado in some ways. But now we're in Colorado. Uh, technically, if you stand on the edge of the yard, you can see a couple mountains, but it's not really a mountain view kind of place. Then a few of the other things I wrote down were, you know, kind of meaningless, whatever I was into, like those couple weeks or whatever. But largely everything I was able to accomplish it. And, you know, kind of to your point, uh, Stephen, at some point when you reach your goals, you have to figure out like what to do. So we'll, I will talk a little bit more about that later. The other piece uh, going uh, to riff off of what you said, Cody, is around like time freedom. So it's the other side of the coin of the passive income where your, your dollars are not tied to, uh, you know, hour by hour. And that was huge because I realized, yeah, I don't necessarily want to be like more productive continually. Maybe I want to go outside and just walk around for a little while. So I'm, I'm definitely leaning more in that direction. And I think a lot of my, not, I don't want to say a lot. Some of my friends are still in, in the area where they're like, I just want to earn more money. And I, I have a friend, I was just talking to him the other day and he he's doing really well with his primary business, but he's like, I want to grow it more and I want to do more on you know some social platform so I can earn even more. And I was like, why? Like you could just do like the one thing you're already doing like really well there. And he was like, I, I want fuck you money. I want like really fuck you money. And I'm like, who are you going to tell fuck you? Like, you don't, you don't even have anyone to say that to <laughs> at this point. Like you're, or you already won, but he's still like hungry for more. And just curious um, if you guys have seen people in, in your circles or, you know, mastermind groups or something like that. And um, Steven, I'll start with you where they're like just so hungry and they, they want more and more and more. Um, I, I kind of, Think you know without pointing to a specific person as an example, I think that's almost like the American culture default, right? Is like that's not something we talk about very much. Uh, is like, oh, at what level will you have reached your goals and start to free up your time and work less? Like the default is work forty plus hours a week until you are a designated age where it's okay to cut back on work, which is like sometime around. 60 to 80 or something like that. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say that kind of applies to everyone. And most people don't give much thought to, to what they consider to be enough or when they're going to slow down and try to enjoy some time away from work. How about you, Cody? Yeah, I actually kind of want to defend the friend, the unnamed friend here for a second, because I kind of fall into that camp sometimes. And I, okay. I think the four hour work week gets a lot of flack sometimes because it is clickbaity. It's the four hour work week. 
But I think the, you know, the point of the four hour work week is you can do whatever the hell you want with whatever extra hours you have in the day. So like, sometimes I'll be really into projects like, and it is work quote unquote, but I'm having a blast doing it. And I just like, can't get away from my computer. And you know, some weeks I'll work 60 hours because I'm so into the stuff that I'm working on. Other times, like I just got back from a six week trip to Hawaii. I was, I did have some four hour work weeks. I think that's kind of the beauty of like financial independence and the four hour work week is like, if you're a workaholic and you love the art of business building and you just like really get fired up about like launching this new thing or doing whatever, like, like I do sometimes, I think it's totally fine. I, I think what's not okay is if you just want to hit like some monetary milestone for God knows what reason you just want to like get $10 million cause you want the fuck you money. But right. I think there is some merit in like you basically you can do whatever the hell you want. Once you get to that point, the, the point of the four hour work week is like, however many what is 168 hours the the 164 hours in the in the uh the the rest of the 164 hours in the week are to do with what you choose perfect and cody that's great it's much more interesting if we just don't all agree with each other for every (laughs) point um and you are right i think some of the people that i know there's a couple of my friends and i think they are, they do enjoy it. They do enjoy it just like you do. And, you, and you're younger than us too. So you're 26, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you you have a little more energy than us. I'm, I'm getting old now <laughs> and I, I don't have that kind of energy. Um, but some of my friends, they are, I think they might be staying busy so they don't have to deal with some other stuff in their lives. And that's just me projecting and judging people from my ivory tower up here. What, uh, I know, what kind of question that I just asked? Do you have people in your life that are so successful <laughs> that they're just trying to, so I, we are all aware of the, uh, <laughs> like the luxurious positions that we're in, but it is interesting because some of my friends, I'm like, hey, you could like throttle down and like spend a little more time doing other things that it seems like they would want to do based on what they told me before. But if you love working or a certain pieces and the way you're doing it, Cody, where you're like, I'm going to like grind hard. You have all this energy. And then when you relax, like you really relax and take, take the time off. So. Doug, I, I like your excuse. It must, it must be for me too, that I'm, I'm, I'm the old guy, right? I'm 32. So, you know, Cody <laughs> over here at 26, he's got all that energy. Uh, yeah, no, I actually, in response to Cody, I would say uh, it's, it's a good point. Um, if you're starting a business or running a business or making a bunch of money and you're enjoying it and you're excited about it, because I have definitely had some of those times in my life where, where like figuring something out of like how to make business happen, how to make some more money has been like the number one most exciting thing that I was working on at that moment. If that's you at any given time, you should put all of your effort into that because how often do you come across something that gets you that excited and makes you want to do something? I absolutely predict that at some point in my life, uh, I'm going to start a business uh, of some kind and get really excited about it. I just also want to have the perspective that you know, money-wise, when it just comes to the money part, once you have enough money, then really... Uh, you need to keep the perspective that everything you do from that point forward needs to be for some reason other than just to make money, right? And so that's like the key takeaway, I think. Awesome. Agreed. And perfect. And I think that's a good point to 
get you to keep riffing, Stephen. So earlier you talked about the approach of uh, the four-hour work week compared to FIRE. So financial independence, retire early, and traditional retirement. So do you want to kind of weave that into our conversation here? Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't help but, you know, given that I just read this book this year, I couldn't help but compare it to like the way that I did things versus like what I might have done if I read the four hour work week earlier. Right. So I'll start off by saying maybe what I did wrong in my own path. And then I'll say what I think Tim Ferriss kind of gets wrong in the book um, compared to what I tried. So as I read the book, I thought to myself, wow, uh, I spent my career pretty much uh, working regular jobs with for salaries with like small side hustles that didn't amount to large amounts of money. Like most of my income and, and Lauren's income uh, was from just literally going to a, like a W2 type of job and then saving the majority of that and investing it into passive investments like index funds and then, you know, accumulating enough to retire or whatever. So that is like, after reading the book, I think that's in some ways the hardest possible way to uh, achieve passive income for a lifetime, right? Um, after reading the book, I was like, wait, I should have just been doing the things that my employers were doing and starting the scalable businesses that my employers had started doing that myself early on. And if I had, I probably would have built it to a point where I could have turned it into like a four hour work week style, high income side business that I could run into retirement. Um, and so for me, one of the big lessons from the book was building scalable businesses and building businesses that don't require significant time input to produce income. And so in that sense, I think that Tim Ferriss's plan can get you to a stage of what you might call like retirement or financial independence way, way faster than saving large portions of your income and investing it into index funds can. With that said, because that is a little bit of maybe a regret of mine that I didn't try something like that. I wish I had read the book earlier. Um, with that said, I think that Tim Ferriss misses out on um, part of what the FIRE movement has to offer, which is when you focus on saving large amounts of money and, and banking large amounts of money into investment accounts and stuff, you feel an invincibility and you have an invincibility that I don't think you can get quite the same from from just depending on the income from a business to sustain your lifestyle. So if you have one of these muse businesses that's that's talked about in the book, there's always the very real possibility that the income from that business can drop by half or to zero practically overnight. And, and even if you have more than one of them, I mean, it reduces your risk, but a lot of times you're kind of in the same sector with them. And with investing in things like index funds, stock and bond market index funds, just having a nice big chunk of cash in a savings account. Um, these are the things that you sleep really well about at night and you don't have to worry so much about. So if I was like trying to retire based on one of these muse businesses, I would be really worried if I didn't have a large like six or seven figure sum um, in investment accounts or, or in the bank as well to fall back on. So I think that the book probably should have had more focus on genuine saving and have like providing yourself a safety net. Quick follow-up, Stephen, how, how long did it take you and Lauren to retire? Uh, basically like 
I would say seven to 10 years of career, like depending on how you count exactly, we kind of like tapered off toward the end. Okay, cool. Which is still obviously very fast. You were like 30, right? Or just under 30? Yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. And Cody, do you have any ideas or comments based on what Steven mentioned? Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think it goes back to just your risk tolerance and how how comfortable you feel just depending on cash flow versus financial independence. Because you made a great point, Stephen, like you can get, I call it cash flow financial independence a lot quicker than you can via the nest egg method. Like I have friends who, James and Emily, who retired in two years investing in rental real estate and have since been retired for the past three or four years. Like, so it worked for them, but you know that maybe their market crashes and maybe their rents go to half. Like that was a very real possibility that could happen. It didn't happen to them, but it's, I think it all goes back to risk tolerance. There, there's so many ways to, to milk the cow, <laughs> pardon that analogy, but there, there's just, there's so many ways to hit financial independence and retire early. I think you can always do a hybrid method. That's kind of what I did. I was like buying real estate, building businesses while I was saving a ton of money in index funds. But I, I think you're right. I, I, I don't remember specifically in the four hour work week because I haven't like physically read it since like 2017 audiobook 2019. But yeah, he definitely didn't have a focus on like, you need to save, I don't think he even named a percentage of your income and like invest it, whether it was explicitly in index funds or somewhere else. I don't think he talks about saving at all. So that would definitely be a nice little, maybe a page or two in the four hour work week if he were to make a revision and add a little fire movement flair to it. Yeah. And a quick note, Stephen would not touch a cow. He's vegan. So he, he would leave that cow alone. <laughs> you could pet the cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the cow. There you go like a sanctuary or something. So I milk the almonds. <laughs> <laughs> and we, actually we do mostly, I mean, we just drink almond milk here. So, so do anyway, I. <laughs> back, back on, back on topic. I'm, I'm doing the trendy thing. I got the oat milk in my coffee right now. So. All right. <laughs> I've, I haven't gone to the dark side yet. Milk, <laughs> Not that dark, just yeah. almond. Okay. Largely we were, uh, aiming towards uh, fire versus traditional retirement. And that's kind of the path that I was looking at. I made a mistake early in my career uh, via an introduction, like many of these insurance salesmen that pose as investment uh, advisors or financial advisors. Um, I bought like a whole life policy. Luckily, I, I was investing in a 401k and a Roth. And I was kind of like, just thinking, hey, I'm going to have to work for a really long time here and hopefully like climb the corporate ladder. And eventually, when I started listening to like Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn and started these side hustles, I was like, there's another way. And I can't remember when uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast came out, but at that point, I started to realize, hey, there's a completely different path and there's no way that I'm going to you know, keep working until um, whatever, 62 two or 60 or whatever. And in fact, at that point, my wife and I, we stopped investing in our retirement accounts because we actually funded those really well in our early years working, uh, maxing out many of those accounts. So we started just post-tax brokerage and started to load that sort of uh, you know leg of our investments, which um, we've kind of balanced it back out. And now that I have my own business, I am contributing more to some traditional retirement account, solo 401k. But once I, you know, thought about starting my own business and then investing, and I 
honestly didn't pay too much attention to the fire movement. I just kind of looked to see like where we should invest once we fired our advisors. And then we came across index funds and Mr. Money Mustache and just kind of filed that away. And then some years later, I got involved in the community, just moving close by to some of the, the folks that do blog. And now I, I can't imagine, you know, number one, working for a company going down a traditional retirement account. I'm, I would largely be unemployable at this point. Yeah, I can't imagine like even having to go to an office or anything. And then on top of that, I couldn't imagine like working a job that I didn't like. So Cody, to your point earlier, you're like, oh, I'm doing work, but I, I actually enjoy it. And the work that I'm doing, I enjoy. I just do, you know, you know 15 hours a week or so. And that's about it. That's enough to to keep me occupied and productive and creative and feel like I'm producing something and it feels pretty good. So, all right. Yeah, that's the name of the game. So from here, let's talk about, um, you know, a couple of these broad ideas did hold up pretty well. So actually I'll, I'll leave it open and, you know, what, held up well? Uh, what are some things that maybe changed? And the book was published in 2007, I think. So the fact that so much of it has um, held up and actually worked for you really well in 2015, Cody, when you first read it. So yeah, I'll kick it over to you. Um, anything that held up well, didn't hold up very well over the years? I think all of the big ideas hold up pretty well. The stuff that obviously isn't holding up as well, are like the specific websites he mentions. I I don't even remember which websites he mentions to get like VAs and automation tools. They've just gotten a hundred times better now. I know before we hit record here, we were just chatting and it is so much easier now in 2022 when we're, when we're recording this to build a business than it was in 2007. Like you can build a beautiful website in like an hour, just like using a basically drag and drop template. Like you can hire people in an hour just using like a website. I know there's like onlinejobs.ph and VA assist and all these other ones. There's just like, literally an unlimited number of tools at your fingertips that Tim Ferriss didn't have when he wrote the four hour work week. Like it was a lot harder. Like you had to really kind of scour and find these like sneaky hacks. And now there's just like an automation for everything. You can just like connect all of your businesses with Zapier. It's like a click of a button. So I think again, all the, all the concepts have held up. I honestly think it's, they've been strengthened if anything by just the advances in technology we've had over the past decade and a half. And so I was able to take the concepts that Tim Ferriss was talking about and implement them probably even faster and better than he could have in 2007 when he had more limited availability. Yeah, so true. And just thinking, you know, you have uh, some online courses and some very good sales funnels and email marketing and just putting that kind of stuff together, like online courses in, you know, 2007 would have been like a custom build. It would have been a nightmare. The sales funnels would have been probably custom also. Like, I don't even know if you would have the capability with the email marketing to do what you can do now without like a full scale custom solution that would have costed probably like six figures or more. It's insane. Oh yeah. I mean, you'd be sending emails with like Outlook and then you'd be like dropping people a zip file full of videos. That's an <laughs> online course. Maybe not 2007, but maybe like 2000, early 2000s when he started writing the book because oh, he said it took him a couple of years to finish it. So it's just like the advancements in technology have made things so much easier if you want to be a business owner today. Yeah. Steven, what do you think? Anything that held up really well or didn't hold up? So I think the thing that, that probably held up maybe the best out of the book, I agree with the idea that the, like the big concepts of the book have held up very well over time. 
and maybe the stuff toward the end of the chapters, uh, like the specific recommendations, obviously some of those are going to be out of date, but the thing that maybe has like even strengthened the most out of anything is, uh, Tim Ferriss talks about if you do have like a traditional office job or, or an employer, um, ways to sort of convince your boss that it's okay for you to do some or all of your work from home or remotely or, or eventually like where you're traveling wherever you want and doing your job from somewhere else. That's kind of his alternative path to if you don't start like a business, you know, moving your job to remote. That today is easier than it's ever been, right? So I, I saw some statistic the other day that it was like a few years ago, it was like 3% of of job listings on LinkedIn were remote and today it's like 17% or something like that. Like these um, remote jobs are just much more available and employers have kind of been forced to test out remote work through COVID. Um, so people who are really reluctant to try it, at least for some of those businesses, it's worked out really well and they've stuck with it. I know of like several businesses in my own life that are like shutting down their office buildings that they used to maintain that they maintained for decades. And they're just like, Oh yeah, we don't even need this anymore. We can save, you know, $10, $20,000 a month on rent or whatever, just shutting down this building. So that's, that's more relevant than ever. Um, some of the software recommendations in the book are like way out of date. I think, uh, I think I may be the only person who read the book in 2022 and still related to hey, here's why you need to waste less time on your BlackBerry. Because at the beginning of this year, I was still using BlackBerry. So uh, <laughs> I didn't even know they still made those. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't <either. laughs> That's crazy. So, yeah, I can echo a lot of what you guys mentioned. The tools, you know, you can't blame someone to, you know, mention tools. He probably knew that those were going to change. And obviously, a lot of it was technology-based or website based. And some of them, I think uh, Elance is like the company that he mentioned, and then it turned into Odesk and now Upwork. So you can still follow like the lineage for some of the the tools and stuff that he mentioned. But yeah, you can't blame them. I mean, that's what was around at the time. A couple in the broad the broad scope of, of uh, the principles and ideas, those obviously held up pretty well. I think, you know, one area that I'll highlight is the corner office test. And like I said, I was in a corporate job. So I was in the safe area of middle management where I could like skate by, which it actually wasn't that bad. I just didn't like the job that much. But there there was obviously a drive to, you know, get promoted and move up and do more work and you know, move up the corporate ladder. So one of the exercises or uh, stories in the book was a corner office test and just, you know, look at the people that are five or 10 or 15 years ahead of you and think, do, do I want that life? If I'm successful and I actually get that promotion, if I get that corner office, do I want to be doing that? Do they look like they're having a good time? And for me, it was very clear, uh, no, it looked like they were more miserable than me they may have gotten paid more. I don't even think it was that much more, but they worked a lot harder. They did have a better title. They were directors or senior directors or something, but that just meant uh, they had to put up with more bullshit. And I was like, well, this doesn't seem like a good route for me. So when I did discover that I could do things differently, that I maybe could run my own business, it was a no-brainer. And then a couple years later, after I was getting, you know, 
uh, these poisonous ideas for a corporate uh, ladder climber, I was like, oh, I, uh, I'm going to push the envelope more and more. So we started um, slow traveling and I was already working remotely, but I didn't tell my, my company that I was slow traveling. I was just like testing it a month here or there. And then we did a three-month uh, trip where we planned on moving. So that's how we ended up in Montana. And I just moved once we signed the lease that then I called my boss and I was like, Hey, we moved and hopefully we could work something out. I could work remotely out here. Um, let me know what you want to do. And then they, they kept me for a couple more weeks, but then they laid me off, which was great because then they let me like spread my wings and, you know, do whatever I wanted. But it was all, all these ideas and the podcast and, the corner office test. And then I was like, why would I want to do this? This seems like a really bad environment for me specifically. It can work great for other people and whatever that that's fine, but just not for me. So. Very yeah. Good. Doug, the, the parts of your, I loved your, your story that you just told because there were so many parts of it where uh, you had a job, like obviously like a good job and you, you kind of just did the things that you wanted to try, regardless of whether your employer gave you permission to do those things. And then if your employer decided that they were cool with that, then fine, then that's great. We can continue the arrangement. And if they say that it's not cool and they're not okay with it, that's fine too. We part ways and, and you've, you've got your setup because, you know, presumably you had savings or some other plan for how to make income or whatever. And that is so powerful. Uh, like I, I think a lot of people, uh, hear the ideas of like trying to push for remote work or trying to push for a sabbatical or time to travel or any of that stuff. And they say, oh, my boss will never let me do that. And then they let that be the end of that dream immediately. And if you have savings in the bank or if you have some kind of business that's producing income in the background, one of those two things or both even, uh, you get to just tell your boss like, hey, uh, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, let me know uh, if you want to keep me around. That's cool. If not, no big deal. And it's life changing. Um, that's that's kind of exactly what Lauren and I have done like multiple times throughout our careers. Awesome. Cody, did you ever do do something like that? Yeah, I was going to say the corner office test was a big one for me. And I don't know if I got it from the four hour work week because I wasn't in that job until like three years later. But I think it was the fire movement actually that just kind of made me assess my situation. But I mean, it, it's real. It's like, if you don't have a plan to move companies or try entrepreneurship or whatever, and you take a look at your manager, the person right above you and you, and they're miserable, like that's, that's where you're going to be if you keep doing well in that job. So like, take a real honest look at that. And I remember looking at my boss who was like probably 15 years old than me. He was making actually way more money than me. I was making like 75 K. He was making like 200 K in my short lived corporate job that I was in for seven months. But He'd complain about his like wife every day. He had like three vacation homes. His kids didn't like him. It was like, this guy was miserable. And I'm like, this is where I'm headed if I stay in this job. And that was my plan initially. Like I was going to work in that job for seven years. I had my spreadsheet. I was like, I'm going to hit fire. I'm going to be making this money over the next X number of years, save this percentage, do the whole nest egg thing. And I said, screw this. Like I'm going to be miserable for seven years. I know I can do it in seven years. It's like, we're, we're kind of sitting on our high horses here, like set, well, you know, seven years. And I know we were talking about like, oh, I wish I did this earlier, Steven. You're like, I wish I tried this, but you were tired at 30, dude. Like <laughs> it's, it's nice to look back and be like, I wish I did that. But yeah, I was just like, I, I don't want to be miserable. And so that's kind of what pushed me off the edge and maybe try out entrepreneurship full time was 
doing that corner office test and seeing my miserable dick of a boss complain yeah. about his family every day. <laughs> yeah. And to give, give people hope, I didn't discover any of this stuff till I was like 35. So like there's hope if you give reach them your hope. 30s. <laughs> yeah. You can still pull it off. I did a couple right thing or a couple things uh, in the right way early on, but largely I didn't pick up any any of this stuff. Oh, and side note, how did you guys each uh, find like the fire movement and stuff? So Steven, why don't don't you tell us? Because I mean, the fact that you guys were able to retire so early, you had a good influence early on. So Steven, how did you guys get into it? Yeah, definitely. And just to add on to what you're saying earlier, yes, it, you can do this stuff in a period of, of seven or 10 years or whatever. So even if you're 40 or 45 or 50 uh, and you, you're starting with zero, it's pretty encouraging to think like, oh, I'm actually maybe not as far behind as I thought. I, I If I get started on this, I can I can do it in that short period. Of time. Just add seven or 10 to your current age and that's when you can be retired. So yeah, I, w- I would not discourage anyone who's older. But <laughs> To answer your question, uh, when did Lauren and I discover FIRE? Basically, I think we had like the most fortunate possible case. We graduated from college and we started making like real incomes, which were not not particularly high incomes, but they were real full-time incomes. And we were used to spending money like college students, right? And so if you're used to the scraping pennies college lifestyle and you continue it while you make a full-time income, you accidentally have a whole bunch of extra money just kind of piling up in your checking account. And so our first question we just kind of asked generically was like, okay, what are you supposed to do with money, right? And so we started researching investing. And so we kind of came up with this idea of like, oh, we should invest money. And then, you know, if we keep having excess money, we keep investing it, maybe one day that means we could live off the interest, right? And it was like this weird idea. And then Lauren was sitting at work one day um, and kind of wasting time, right? The stuff that Tim Ferriss talks about in his book and just browsing the internet, right? And uh, she ran across a news article about Mr. Money Mustache. She immediately sent it to me, emailed it to me. I read it. And then I kind of binged that entire blog and that blog made concrete um, this idea that we had like loosely formed about like, oh, if we have extra money, we invest it. Eventually, we can live off the investments. And and yeah, so Mr. Money Mustache kind of made that solid for us. What about you, Cody? Got to give a shout out to the same dude. My mom actually sent me a Mr. Money Mustache article in, uh, I want to say 2016 or 2017, maybe late 2016, early 2017. It was a shockingly simple math article because she knew I was into this side hustle stuff. I was building businesses because Tim Ferriss taught me to. And then she's like, check this out. Like you can retire, you know, in five years, if you save 75 or 80% of your income, I was like, oh my God, like I'm already super frugal. I'm just going to try to make as much money as I possibly could. And that just kind of forced me down the rabbit hole. And that's how I discovered, you know, tons of different podcasts and other influencers, other bloggers at the time, now YouTubers and TikTok and Instagram and just all these people who had retired like in their 20s, 30s, 40s, just way faster than I knew was humanly possible. Cool. And for me, it was kind of kind of sideways. So I mentioned before, I think we found Mr. Money Mustache just trying to figure out where to invest and to tie it full circle. I think I heard Pete's interview on the Tim Ferriss show in 2017, I think. And Mm -hmm. that like rekindled the ideas. And by then I was doing pretty well with my business. I had been doing it for a couple years after getting laid off. 
And I was like, oh, this this seems like pretty possible. And we had been tracking our net worth since 2014 or so. So there were a couple of good years in there. I think 2017 or 18 was a little flat. But, you know, as we as you're watching it go up, once you hit a certain point, the compound interest really kicks in the, in the momentum uh I mean, you can't stop it. It's a bad year this year, but we have those occasionally. But at that point, I was like, oh, this is like really pretty possible. And then just through luck and uh, good timing, we ended up moving to Longmont where Pete lives and a couple other people around here. And then got sort of introduced into the community and became friends with people and all that stuff. And then started going to like Camp Fies or FinCon or whatever, where you could really like hang out for a long time and like build those friendships and all that. So... So one thing I want to talk about, um, especially tying in the fire movement and the conversations that I've had with people that have reached retirement at early ages, there's um, there's a period where some people hit uh, like a depression. Uh, they don't know what to do. Basically, they were working really hard. They were accumulating. Maybe they were pretty type A. They stayed busy at their job, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, they have a huge void to fill. And I know listening to some of Ferris's podcast, he has mentioned like, you know, the, the most important is the liberates uh, section of the book where it's like, now what? Okay, you, you reached your goals. Now what are you going to do with your time? And through a lot of conversations, it, it sounds like people need to have it figured out before they get there. Otherwise, they're kind of going to they're going to freak out depending on their personality type. So, not a specific question, but uh, Cody, uh, any observations in that area? Yeah, I think that's a really great point, and that's the reason why I'm glad I didn't go the nose to the grindstone for seven years at that miserable corporate job way. Is I think a lot of people make the mistake you're talking about, Doug, is they'll just they'll put their head down and they'll work for seven, 10, 15 years. They'll hit that nest egg number and then they'll quit and they'll be like, well, what the hell do I do now? I don't have any hobbies. I haven't really been like building this ideal lifestyle. And it's always the once this, then that. It's like once I hit financial independence, then I'll start working out. Then I'll learn how to play the guitar. Then I'll spend more time with my kids. But it's like, that's not how it happens. Like if you're not working out while you're going toward financial independence or learning the guitar or spending time with your kids, you're probably not going to do it after, even though you get all that time back. And then you're going to have to be faced with the really real problem of the reason I'm not doing this isn't because I was working in that job. It's because of something else. It's because I have this like insecurity or I just don't have enough motivation to start or whatever. So you're going to have to unfortunately take money out of that equation and realize the real reasons you're not doing the stuff you say you want to do. So I think people should really try to start to build their ideal lifestyle while they're going toward financial independence. Maybe that means once you start to get like a little bit of a emergency fund built up, you have like your investments compounding or you're building a business, wh whatever way you want to go, maybe you scale back work five hours a week and you, you do spend time working out or playing the guitar or hanging out with your kids or whatever that activity is for you that you say you want to do that you've been saying that for five years and you still haven't done it. And you, you, you listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. There's always something you're like, this is the year I'm going to learn Spanish. And then 10 years later, you still haven't learned Spanish. It's like, you got to kind of figure out how you can incorporate that into your daily routine and start to build those things in intentionally so that when you do pull the trigger and you do really scale back on work, now you have all these awesome things that you've been practicing and that you're good at. And you have these hobbies, you have these side hustles or passion business or like what, whatever that is to you. You just got to, you got to build the dream life for you while you're chasing the goal. So that dream life is there waiting for you when you hit the goal. 
And uh, before we move to Steven, Cody, what are your uh, hobbies? Like what, what are those things for you? So I was naming some stuff of mine, but it was like spending more time with my fiance was my girlfriend at the time. I was chasing Fi, fiance Lauren and yeah, Steven and I have the same fiance <laughs> slash wife's names not to confuse people here. And so that was one of them. Another one was just like being more intentional about like getting outside and doing something. I know Steven mentioned he likes going out and kayaking. Like I have a lake house in the summer. We love just getting out, sitting on the kayaks in the lake or even going for a swim or even in the winter, just getting outside instead of just like being stuffed behind my computer all day. So I've been really intentional about that, like making sure I get those activity hours in. Uh, learning Spanish was another one. So like over the past couple of years, I've been really ripping it up on Duolingo. We got a Spanish tutor. Like I've just been slowly building that into my daily routine. Working out was another one. It was like, I I had trouble working out while I was in that corporate job because I had like basically 12, 14 hour days with the commute. And it was, so it was really hard, but I, I, I still like try to make it to the gym most days. I kept it as part of my routine. And as I started to scale back the number of hours I was working each week, that habit was just still there. So yeah, during the whole period, I was just like trying to make sure I was doing all the things that when I sit, when I tell someone what I'm about, the things I like to do, like I want to make sure I'm actually doing that stuff. I want to make sure traveling is another big one. I just mentioned I we just spent six weeks in Hawaii. I love, you know, snowboarding, like all these things that if, if I say that I love doing it and I don't do it, then that means that I'm not setting enough time for that activity. So, yeah, I've just been it depends on the season, depends on the season of my life and the season because I'm in New England and it's friggin' freezing in the winter and warm in the summer. So the, the activities switch it up. But uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just figuring out what you like and, and really dedicating that time every day. So that's that's kind of how it looks like for me. All right. Okay. How about you, Steven? So we'll we'll swing back to the, you know, observations on people that reach early retirement. Yeah. So I, I would I would say if you're in the middle of your career or building a business or or having a job or whatever and you think that Part of the reason why you're unhappy or what you're striving for uh, is that you need more time off work. That if you didn't have this job, if you didn't have this obligation, you'd be happier. Um, instead of putting your nose to the grindstone and saving up so much money that you can retire or gaining so much passive income that you can retire and then finding out the answer at the end, uh, I highly, highly recommend finding out that answer as soon as possible. So, uh, perfect example of this is uh, when Lauren and I were 24, 25, this is back in uh, 2015, our net worth at that point um, was probably just a little over $150,000. So nowhere near enough money to retire off of, right? Uh, but some good, good money in the bank, good investments, feeling secure. At the time, you know, our expenses were very low. That was probably seven years of annual expenses for us combined. So you start to think to yourself, well, I'm nowhere near retirement, but I literally have seven years of money sitting in the bank. So I could go without a job for practically as long as I want, right? So we took that time and we just decided, okay, well, we just got married. Let's take six months and let's just go to Hawaii and just see what it's like to like not have full-time jobs. And let's just see what this early retirement lifestyle that we're like kind of working toward is really like for a minute. And so that's one of the things that's talked about a little bit in the four-hour work week is this uh, mini retirement idea. And that's pretty much what we did. Um, so we went to Hawaii for six months. We put a list up our, on our refrigerator, a handwritten list that said, badass stuff we need to do ASAP. 
That's what it said at the top <laughs> of the list. And we just listed off like all the cool stuff on the big island of Hawaii where you just were, Cody, uh, that, that we wanted to see uh, and just other random projects that we wanted to do and try. Some of them we ne- never ended up doing, didn't have the motivation for. Maybe that, that means that those weren't the most important things to us. We learned a little bit about ourselves. And fortunately, the answer to our question of what is early retirement like for us was, it's great. It, it was awesome. That, that six months was a lot of fun. And uh, I think it motivated us even more. And when we got back from that, back to Florida, we were like ready to go and more motivated than ever to make more money and save more money and reach this early retirement. Um, and I could see where for someone else, maybe it doesn't go the same way. Maybe you discover, hey, you know, I, I don't have enough uh, hobbies or interests, or I don't have enough connection, close connections with other people. And maybe these are issues that I need to like address in my life. Or maybe the answer is my passion in life is, is running a business and I couldn't wait to get back to that. And that's okay too. If that's the answer for you. I, I don't know what the answer is for you, but we felt that that experience was so important to us that uh, we have like a financial roadmap on our blog that, that takes you from zero to early retirement. And one of the steps on the roadmap is take a chunk of time off and find out if this is right for you. Because even though that's not financially best, obviously it's going to cost you some time and money. Uh, it is well worth it to do that exploration. It's hard to add to what each of you said there, but as far as testing, I'll tell a story about uh, some friends of ours. So they had, you know, kind of a, a life-changing experience, um, some illness, and they were like, hey, you know what, we're going to we're gonna die someday, so let's do the stuff that we want to do. And they didn't test it. They, like, jumped in. So they actually, like, bought a, bought a house in, like, 20 acres in Red Lodge, Montana, which is on the way to Yellowstone and near the Beartooth Highway. It's very remote. I think it's only, you know, maybe 1,000 or 1,500 people that live in town, and they were like 20 minutes away. The winters are extremely long, very cold, ton of snow, and they lived there for a couple of years, and it, it didn't work out for them, so they moved to a bigger city. But they could have tested it. They could have rented a house for, uh, you know, a month or two. They could have rented it for like a year and signed a lease to just make sure that the seasons were okay there. Um, but they they jumped in and it ended up being you know kind of a pain. They, they've worked it out, of course, uh, at this point. But they had to move. They had to figure out how to sell their place. It happened to be a down market, and it was uh, very difficult. I think they lost a lot of money and a lot of frustration just dealing with it. So if you can test it, you know, figure it out. And I remember in the in the book, Tim says, uh, you know, if you want. Uh, you know, Ferrari, like rent one for a day, like just see if you actually enjoy it. Maybe that's all you need. You don't need to buy a Ferrari, just rent it for a day, like once a month and have a good time. And like, that's way cheaper than like buying a Ferrari. Probably. I think they're expensive. (laughs) I bet it is. Okay, cool. Well, do you guys have any sort of final thoughts on the book or anything like that before we uh, sign off here? I just want to kind of riff off what you were just saying there, because I think it's easier than ever. And this is a, I'll relate this back to a real story to rent things and test them out. So a few years ago, and this is when I like entrepreneurship was going well for me. And I mentioned, I live in New England, it's freezing in the winters and I'm jealous of people who live in places that are warm all year. So I was like, let's look at buying a place in Florida. 
And then as I started to think about it more, I'm like, okay, realistically, we're going to spend like four months there, maybe during the cold months with Airbnb, VRBO, all these, it's, it's so much cheaper and so much more cost efficient for me to just stay in an Airbnb in a place I'd want to be in rather than having this house that's like sitting vacant that I have to worry about. And, you know, I could rent it out and set up a whole system, but that's a whole nother podcast and discussion. I could like rent it out in Airbnb, whatever. But it's just like, you do have all these luxuries that are way cheaper than, you know, when Tim Ferriss was writing the four hour work week in 2006 and seven, it's way cheap. You can go rent a Ferrari on Turo. You can go get the sickest mansion ever on Airbnb. And it's so much more affordable and accessible than it was back in 2007. I don't even think Airbnb and Toro both weren't things at that point. So I feel like luxury is at your fingertips and it's just, it's a lot easier to experience luxury without having to foot the massive luxury bill. You can even fly in a private jet. There's that airline JSX. You can fly from like LAX to like, you know, Las Vegas for 200 bucks in a private jet. And that's, that's a real thing now. Like go, go look it up. If, if people aren't, aren't familiar, it's crazy. And you know, 20 years ago, you'd have to buy all these things and own them yourself to be able to experience like that level of bouginess and luxury. So it's just, it's a lot easier now to kind of do the testing, do the mini retirement thing than it was 15 years ago when you wrote the book. It's, it's only 200 bucks. It's crazy. <laughs> Literally, I yeah, LAX to Vegas because someone flew in. I was at a conference in Vegas. Someone flew in and they were they took a Snapchat. They were getting off of this jet JSX. I'm like, how much do you pay for that ticket? 213 bucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why isn't everybody doing this? Like, people don't know about it. It's they're just like offering luxury and it's not like a four person private jet. I think they're like maybe 25, 30 people, but it's it's a jet. It's not just like a commercial airline. It's gotcha. sick. Yeah. It's like flying Frontier or something. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's way better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's all good. All right. Uh, Steven, any, any thoughts here? Uh, I I would be curious to hear from people who, who try those experiences. I've never thought of the idea of like renting the luxuries that you're lusting after. I think, I think for us, like we kind of skipped over that because we, we never really were like lusting after fancy cars or private jets or, or whatever. But uh, I, I, I kind of like the idea. I wonder how many people who rent a private jet or rent a Ferrari or, or rent a mansion might leave that experience and say, you know, uh, that was fun, but like, I don't think I need that every day for the rest of my life. And I certainly don't think it's worth a, a million dollars of my <laughs> effort to get it. So yeah, maybe that's the antidote for people who really, really lust after that stuff. And just thinking of a uh, car, I mean, I, I'm not a car person, but if you did have a nice car, I would just be nervous for scratches or like just anything like a pebble, like hitting it and scratching it up. If you have, you know, a really nice pristine car versus, you know, if you're renting, obviously you don't want to mess up someone's rental or a Toro or whatever, but at the same time, like you don't have to go home and like pay insurance and taxes and all the other bullshit. So there's like overhead, even if you're like, oh, I could buy a house or a condo in Florida, like there's all this admin stuff that you have to deal with too, which is kind of a pain in the ass. And you can buy the convenience and just test things out. And that makes a lot more sense. So very cool. All right. Well, I think this has been uh, really fun. It's a great book. I actually, I think I have all of Tim Ferriss's books. I don't listen to the podcast quite as much, but I definitely uh, was a fanboy for a lot of years. So I think people 
should you know still check it out if you haven't read it. I mean, it's worthwhile. Now it's like a historical piece in like the side hustle entrepreneurship area. So, all right, guys. Well, this has been a blast. I'll let each of you tell people where uh, they could find you. So, Stephen, why don't you kick it off? Where are you at? Yeah, so uh, our blog is tripofalifestyle.com. Um, has a bunch of info on early retirement and investing and how to travel for cheap. Everything on our blog and on all of our channels, all of our content is free. So check it out. Cool. And you, you have like social and YouTube, so I'll link up to all that stuff too. But the home base yeah. is the website. Yeah, yeah, at Trip of a Lifestyle on, on any social media, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. The only weird one is Twitter. Twitter's T-O-A Lifestyle because they limit your character. I think we're one character too long for the Twitter uh, handle. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, we'll link it up so people can get to yeah. it. And then, Cody, what about you? Where are you at? Well, if you like listening to people talk, you'll probably enjoy my podcast, The Financial Independent Show, where both of these awesome guys have been guests before. You can get that wherever you listen to podcasts. And then if you're interested in making passive income through digital products, that's at goldcityventures.com. We get a bunch of free stuff on there. We do have some paid stuff on there too, if you want like really in-depth training. But yeah, those are probably the best ways. And then you can probably just link up on my socials, Doug. (laughs) Perfect. Most active on Instagram though. Instagram. All right, cool. Well, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen, and I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Appreciate it.